Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloane. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast where Marissa is queen, captain is king, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. Today's episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Today, my guests are Leah from YA Book Chat and Patreon member Erica. Hi. <laughs> so today we're going to discuss pages 88 to 104 of Fairest. But first, what are you reading? Let's see. I am currently reading, well, I am still rereading Renegades. Um, and then, but I'm almost done. And then and right after that, I'm going to start Realm Breaker by Victoria Aveyard, which I am super excited about. I actually started it um, like a month ago because I got an arc of it, but then I ended up having to stop because I realized I wasn't going to be able to read it and other books I needed to cover for my podcast at the same time. So I stopped and now I'm finally coming back to it because I'm going to cover it on my podcast in June. So I'm super excited. That is exciting. Yeah. What about you, Erica? Um, I'm kind of currently reading two books. Um, one is The Ask and the Answer by Patrick Ness. It's part of the Chaos Walking series. And, like, it just... I, I haven't seen it yet, but it became a movie. Um, and then I am rereading the Bloody Jack series. I'm on the... Well, I'm reading the ones that I own. <laughs> um, I'm reading Mississippi Jack. It's the fifth book. It's like a, it's a historical fiction with some liberties taken. It's probably my second favorite series. So, yeah. Second favorite is always good. Mm Mm-hmm. So I am reading the third book in the Vampire Diaries series. Not diaries. I keep doing that. The Vampire Academy series. (laughs) (laughs) It's so Uh, easy to mix them up. I haven't read the other ones, and I don't know why I keep doing that, but um, Amanda from Fictional Hangover Podcast has been really wanting me to read the book, so I got all of them from the library, and I'm on the third one. I also picked up a a graphic novel, Snow White, by Matt Thalon, and uh, pretty soon I will start listening to The Renegades (laughs) again i actually got my notes out because i have now done six episodes on other podcasts about renegades so i was like i actually have like i feel like i've been preparing for the last like year and a half to do this episode with leah and i just didn't know it (laughs) i'm very excited (laughs) i just can't believe it's taken me this long to get to that episode but you know it's fine i know so many books this is now your third marissa book it's the third. Yep. Yeah. So I've I've hit Heartless, Instant Karma, now Renegades, and then obviously then eventually the next one. you have to do Cinder. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the next one. That'll be the next one. When and I get, I get there. to go on that too. Of course, of course. I have a claim on everything Marissa Meyer related <laughs> for everyone's podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. So let's take a moment to talk about some super awesome fan art from May twenty eighth. Uh, this first one is by Annalise Jensen, and it is of Channery and Solstice, kind of a side-by-side 
Um, and I love it so, so much. I love the like smug look on Channery's face. Yeah. I love how soft and demure Solstice looks. Um, I love the differences and even just like the way they're dressed, like Channery, you can see quite a bit of cleavage and <laughs> Solstice is a little bit more conservative with her outfit. Um, they both have their hair half up, but Solstice's is very soft and light and Channery is like a very glam, mm-hmm. <laughs> glamour headshot type of uh, hairdo and her long fingernails. Um, so I just love it. Me too. It's really pretty. I just think it's a great depiction of both of them. And definitely mm-hmm. shows off their their different personalities. And those, I mean, Chandra's yeah. long fingernails, man. Like you just <laughs> you can't not notice those things. <laughs> They're so and she's, perfect. I, she's definitely the type to have long fingernails. Oh yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and the hair, the headdress thing that comes down to her forehead is that a moon? I think it's a half crescent moon with some kind of maybe like gem in the middle, but I think it's it's really pretty. It is. It is. And she's got a little heart under her eye. Mm-hmm. Very pretty. Yeah. Big thank you for letting me share that. And then this next one is by Becca Jenkins, and it's also of Channery. Um, I love that it includes the heart on her dress, and the shawl is like almost looks like vines climbing up her arms. Yeah, it does. I noticed that too. It's really cool. In her long got hair. Like a, fade, a faded color. Yeah. Like darker red. Yeah, that's true. I like darker on the bottom and it gets lighter as it goes up top. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are they called? Is that ombre? Yes. Yep, that's or is that the called. opposite of ombre? No, I think that's what it is. Okay. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, ombre is like a shade of one color to a lighter shade of the same color. Okay. And then gradient can be anything. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think. (laughs) (laughs) So big thank you for letting me share those. And remember, you can submit your artwork to princekaifanpod at gmail.com. Last week, Patreon members got to vote for fairest uh, quote chapter titles. (laughs) Um, Pages 66 to 75 are is Every Breath You Take by The Police, and pages 75 to 88 is Obsession by Animotion. Both very appropriate, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. And that's it. How'd we do? That's pretty good, right? Chapter discussion already at seven minutes. Yeah, nice. Yeah feel like i deserve a treat or something actually i'm getting a treat i'm obsessed the hibachi place that i love that's down the street finally opened back up for dining and i'm obsessed with going there nice like we just went friday and today i told quentin we were going for dinner again and i feel like <laughs> so today we're going to cover chapters 88 to 104 we're just going to cover those chapters i think there's more than enough to talk about there I did get a question about which pages we're covering. So just a reminder, you can check the pages on the Prince Kai fan pod website or just listen at the end of every episode. I'll tell you like what pages we're going to cover next week because unfortunately the book is not split into like chapter one, chapter two. So I went through the book myself and tried to figure out like what parts should be together and separated. 
So if you need that schedule, it is on the website, but at the end of every episode, I will tell you which ones we're going to read next. So we start off with Channery being Channery, just chilling at this ball, lounging <laughs> around. And Lavana is still obsessed with Everett. Remember last week, she she got a little carried away with her gift and forgot what the word consent means. <laughs> Basically, we actually counted it. Amanda and I counted it and Everett told her no 23 times. Holy cow. In one chapter. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. And she still didn't take it for an answer. So. No, she's persistent. She has issues. Yes, <laughs> she does. She has issues. She's already starting to become the predator that we know. Mm-hmm. She's fixated on Everett and he doesn't even look at her. She's just like, she's staring at him and thinks he looks like more royalty than hired brawn and just so dreamy and then Channery calls him her toy yes and her puppet and i'm like see Channery's got the measure lovana <laughs> you don't like it but it's true yeah no agreed i thought that was funny when Channery was like you have to have three toys at once you know <laughs> and she describes them and i'm like yeah she's Channery's like you just need to have some play things and have some fun, you know, where Lavana's like obsessed with just this one person. Absolutely. And later on, Lavana is like, you know, if you're having difficulty getting a guy to like you, why don't you just use your glamour? And Channery's basically like, mm, I'll leave that to you, girl. I like to get my men the old fashioned way. Oh, man. Ugh. So. Channery finally addresses the elephant in the room and asks Lavana why on earth she is dressed like her crush's dead wife. And she says that she's paying homage to Solstice. Which is ridiculous. Delusional. What is that? You're paying homage to what? No, no, you're not. (laughs) And she, it's so sick too. Like, like he can't even... Like stand to look at her. You know, like Would you be able to look at her? No. It's horrible. Even if my husband were still alive and someone looked like him, I'd be like, this is too freaky. Yeah. It'd be really weird. It's just not okay. No, it's not. We also get a little bit of insight into the uh, more of how Channery treats the servants versus how Lavana treats them in the last chapter. We saw Channery being very dismissive of her servants and Lavana was actually a little bit kinder and a little bit softer. And in this one, Channery is completely oblivious to her servants even being there. They might as well be an object. But Lavana notices the strain of holding the tray above his head and dismisses the servant so that he can sort of rest. And this is such a huge contrast from the Lavana that we know. Right. It's a lot different. Like she's actually caring about somebody <laughs> and hoping that they're okay versus the opposite. Who knew that was even a possibility? Right? <laughs> With Lavana. Yeah, it's not what you would expect from her. What do you guys think of Lavana's concept of wanting to look cheerful and lovely and delicate? And so the only way she feels like she can do that is if she looks like Solstice. I think she's a like, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to look like cheerful and delicate and whatnot, but mm-hmm. like, but doing it by choosing to look like solstice is not the right approach. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think she's just probably like in this state where she's feels so desperate and maybe feels like he's never going to love her. He'll never want to be with her unless she looks like his dead wife, which is really weird. But um, I don't I think she's just kind of desperate, you know, it's just so desperately wants him to love her that maybe she just didn't know what else to do. Yeah, like she's she's never known any sort of love before, so she doesn't know what to do. And like, I feel like she'll do anything just to get some sort of satisfaction or attention and she doesn't care who it hurts. Yeah, I think part of her also does want to be Solstice. Everett saw Solstice as desirable and Lovano wants to be desirable. And so she's taking that form, you know, when she was in the shop with solstice, she, she noted to herself how kind she was, how genuine she was, how delicate and fragile she seemed. And she noticed how uh, at the funeral, she noticed how Everett was like attentive to her because of that. And no one's ever treated her like she's precious and needs to be protected protected. I mean, she's protected by guards, but that's because she's the princess, not because they care about her well-being and they're so attuned to her that they notice when she needs assistance or extra protection or guidance. And I think that she sort of channeled that into Solstice is the only person she's ever seen who's gotten that kind of attention. And so why wouldn't she be Solstice? Who else is she going to be? Right. That makes sense. So Channery claims that Lavana is playing with his head and that mm-hmm. palace guards are beneath a princess because it, it, despite the fact that Channery has had her fun with plenty of guards, Channery says something that I think is, is a really good way of explaining to Lavana the difference between what Channery does with guards and what Lavana is doing. She says, never to determine, never to detriment of having fun elsewhere. And this is where what Leah was talking about earlier. She says, ideally, a lady will have three toys at once, one to romance her, one to bed her, and one to adorn her with very expensive jewelry. Um, But none (laughs) of those have to do with love, affection, um, companionship, whereas Lavana's only desire is love and affection and companionship. And so Lavana is playing with his head because that's what she's after, whereas Channery she just wants attention and it doesn't necessarily matter what kind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely shows the differences on them too, you know, and how different they really are from each other. Milana also points out as if it matters that (laughs) Channery has never had Everett as if to say that like, well, you've never had Everett. He's amazing. So does that mean you've had Everett Milana? 16-year-old Lavana Everett, who's 25, we have some issues here. Uh-huh. Also, he didn't give consent. No. That's inferior. To whatever happened. My husband brought up an interesting point. So my husband is in the military, as is Leah's, and they're very strict about what they call fraternization, which is um, mm-hmm. a superior having an intimate relationship with a subordinate. And Quentin brought up that one of the main reasons they are so against this type of intimate relationship is because it's impossible to give consent if the person you are giving consent to has authority over you. Oh, 
That makes sense. And Lavana is the princess. She has the ultimate authority over Everett. She can have him beheaded. Right. So is it possible for him to ever give his consent knowing the consequences of not giving it? I don't think so. He's really like, he's really stuck, you know? I mean, she's just like so obsessed with him and so pushy and I want you, I have to have you, you're going to be mine. And he just doesn't he just doesn't know what to do. Like, he's like, you're my princess. I'm, I work for you. I have to do what you ask me to do. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's really a choice there very much. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's, he's stuck. Like, and he, there's no way for him to really get out of, of his, his cage kind of that, that Lavana's put him in. Yeah, I mean, what are what are his options? Say no and possibly die, leaving his child as an orphan. Or say yes and live a, a lie and a miserable life in a cage, like you said, in hell. I mean, he's not been dealt a very good hand. No, not at all. Yeah. So Channery uh, also reveals that she has a crush on a gay man named Dabrowski. <laughs> And (laughs) I think this is kind of amusing that it doesn't seem like she really has a crush on him. I think it's literally just that he's not interested in her and she finds that like intriguing. Not necessarily like, oh, it's a challenge, but like literally it just intrigues her that someone could not be interested in her. Right? Like, I don't understand this concept. How could somebody not want me and be interested in me? (laughs) She's like, I, I don't understand this. I have to figure this out. I must I must get him, even though he has a male partner. And clearly that's not, you know, doesn't deviate her. Yeah, she says, I've been throwing hints at him since last sunset. And this is where Lavana like sees him dancing with another with a man and she's like um i don't think that's the problem i think it's his preferences <laughs> she's like, i don't think you're his type wink wink nudge nudge take a hint it's so funny so this is when chandra and lavana discuss brainwashing people and and the concept of falling in love and what's really interesting to me is that what Channery says to Lavana is eerily similar to what Lavana says to Kai and Cinder during the in, uh, during the ball at the end of book one. She says that Lavana is a child for even thinking of the concept of love, and even looks down on her for it because love is is just such a silly concept to Channery. Um, she even says that it's a, a conquest at one point. Mm-hmm. Love is a conquest. Love is a war. Here's what I think of love. And she throws her empty glass. Um, and I think that's very similar, like eerily similar to how Lavana is extremely dismissive of Kai and Cinder's relationship at the end of book one, where she's like, what do I care if you have feelings for another um, woman, if you want to call her that? Monogamy <laughs> is such an outdated concept. It's so silly. Um, but here right now, she seems to be obsessed with the concept of love and with making Everett love her. Yeah. 
it makes you wonder, okay, what's coming next? What happens and what changes? Because something must happen to change her mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the shards from Channery's empty glass hits Dubrovsky's partner. And Lavana pulls Channery away and chides her for her behavior. And Channery is like, okay, you're glamored to look like your crush's ex-wife. Maybe calm down a little bit. Right. Lavana <laughs> sort of pities Channery, saying that Channery's only mean to make herself feel better, which I actually really like that that I that look insight into Channery as a character because I think that that's often said of like the stereotypical mean girls, they're only mean to make themselves feel better. What did you guys think of that? I agree. Cause that, that is something that um, people say, actually, that's something that I've told my kids, like, you know, <laughs> if somebody's mean to you. A lot of the time it's because they've got something about themselves they don't like, or they're jealous and they want, you know, to make you look bad, to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I work with kids, so I definitely know <laughs> that they'll do anything to make themselves feel better. I think even as adults, people do that. I've noticed adults mm-hmm. who do that, um, who put each other down or will minimize someone else's accomplishments to make themselves feel better about either their own accomplishments or lack thereof. You know, I'm thinking of a specific person who told me I have a degree in storytelling. <gasps> That's horrible. Wow. But it came from a place of this person um, didn't, wasn't able to go to college and get a degree. So, mm. you know, it made them feel better about that lack that they had. Well, it's like, at least I don't have a silly degree. Like, I don't think my degree is silly, but she's not the only person who's told me librarians don't need degrees. So I wish that were true. They cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think this is an interesting insight into Channery because Mm -hmm. I also feel like Lavana does that later again at the ball. I'm thinking about when she were, when she gestures to Cinder and implies that she's not a real woman. Yeah, that's true. It's so crazy to think about Lavana not being the Lavana that we know, because in so far in this book, she seems like a very misguided child who is manipulative and forceful and still the predator. But mm-hmm. she's not in the same way that we know her. And yet here we are seeing Channery behave in identical ways to how Lavana will ch- will present herself later. It's so crazy to think about it that way, you know, like, cause, because then, um, you know, Cinder and all those books, like Lavana, it seems like, like she's so jealous of Channery and hates her. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing like the opposite where it's like, she's trying to, she's trying to prove herself to Channery really, you know, with all that she's talking, cause she talks about. Um, you know, cause Channery is like, well, why, why are you manipulating him? Why don't you just let him see what you really look like? Or are you afraid that he's going to run away? And Lavana's like, well, you know, he's in mourning and I love him. So I'm trying to make this transition easy for him. It's like, she's trying to justify herself to Channery and Channery is just being nasty. But then, yeah, that's what, that's the nastiness that Channery has here is what we see later from Lavana. 
So it's just crazy how they kind of, it seems like they kind of do a flip flop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to keep track of that and see how it turns from one to the other. Yeah. See what's going to happen next. Lavana says that she doesn't care what Chanery thinks. She's going to marry him. Yeah. And Channery calls her an idiot, lowers her dress straps, and then just goes to the the floor. Um, and that's kind of Channery's exit from our, our little chapter. But I kind of think it's interesting that Channery doesn't necessarily tell her not to marry him or that she can't marry him. She just says, you're an idiot. As if to think, like, I think Channery feels like there's no way in hell Everett is going to marry you. Probably. But she might also think, like, there's no way in hell I'm letting you marry a guard. She could think that, or maybe she's just, like, knows how stubborn Lavana is, and that it's kind of pointless to argue with her anymore at this point, too, you know? So she just yeah. kind of gives up, like, eh, you're an idiot. I'm going to go uh, throw myself at some gentleman on the dance floor now, excuse me, while I lower my dress straps. <laughs> I lower my dress to try and attract a gay man who does not care about my cleavage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Always worth a shot, right? I mean, you never know. <laughs> and this is where we get Lavana's inner monologue, where she says that she's not going to replace Solstice. She's going to be better than Solstice. She's going to be more loving, more dedicated. Um, and she even thinks that she's going to improve her appearance of Solstice. So she still looks like Solstice, but like a more perfect version of her. Mm-hmm. And... It's just interesting to me that she saw Solstice as, I need to be Solstice because Solstice is desirable. And even that's not good enough for her now. Right. She just, I think I, it almost like it almost seems like Channery's conversation with Lavana is kind of, making Lavana think, okay, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not an idiot. Like she says, maybe I'll just do something a little bit different and he'll want me even more if I'm an even more perfect version of Solstice than already existed. And when uh, Chanery goes to pat Lavana on the cheek and like, it's, it's a gentle touch, but she still recoils from it. I'm like, all I was thinking, I'm like, that's a trauma response. Like she doesn't want her to touch her. Like, that's a good I just point. thought it was weird. Like, they're sisters, but there's no, no sisterly connection, but this, like, competition of Yeah, they don't the seem to have, like, an affectionate bond for one another. Yeah. Like, something must have happened. <laughs> <laughs> do we think it has to do with how they were raised? It being raised in this environment, they were pinned against each other? Or do we think it's just they have really clashing personalities? Both? <laughs> yeah, I would say both, too. Yeah, I, mean, I think I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the way they were raised is kind of like a recipe for disaster, for this to happen, is what mm-hmm. I would think. And just kind of being pitted against each other in different situations, maybe. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Megan. And I'm Samantha. With Literary Lushes. And we want to tell you about our podcast. Join us every other week as we dive into a sci-fi or fantasy novel where we also drink cocktails inspired by the novel. We post YouTube videos of us making the cocktails. And a lot of the times we even have the authors on, including Dennis E. Taylor, Marissa Myers, and even Angela Roquet. So join us because you don't want to miss the podcast that's been described as not taking ourselves too seriously. And with that, we say stay lively with your libations. So she decides to go and seek out Everett. And she even improves her voice to make it more whimsical. And he looks fearful when he sees her, which speaks volumes. Um, He says, I want to walk around the lake. Please come with me. And he, you know, he follows her. They go for this little walk around the lake. Um, And it's not enough for her. He's walking behind her as a guard because he's supposed to. Um, And he says something I find extremely telling is that she says, you know, why are you standing so far away? You know, can you really protect me from there? And he says, it is not in a, um, and she says, what if an assassin were to fire a shot into my heart from one of those windows? Would you manage to get to me in time? And Everett responds, it is not an assassin. I fear you need protection from. You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber, please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. Yep. She needs protection from herself or him if they come any closer. Which is, he's kind of calling her out on what she's doing. Yep. I agree. Yeah, he totally is. And here's where I I feel like we get into the topic of consent. Everett being the adult, despite the fact that Levana manipulated him into their interactions, because even since the last interaction they had, um, they've still like had stolen moments of affection in the corridors and stuff. And all of them required mental pressure from Levana where she had to tell him that she loved him or that he loved her. She had to put those um, emotions into him using her gifts. And he constantly tells her to stop. And then in this, he even says that he took advantage of her, which I completely disagree with. I do too. But I, I suppose he's trying to deflect it so that the blame is on her, maybe try and give her a different perspective. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. Maybe he's like, maybe he's afraid to say 
he doesn't want to say that it's her fault because who the heck knows what she would do if he were to say that, you know, like he can't say it's her fault. So he tries to, maybe he's just trying a different tactic. Like the poor man has probably feels helpless at this point. Like doesn't know what else to do to stop her, her advances again, uh, you know, for him. So maybe he's just like, okay, maybe if I try something a little different and say it was my fault instead and apologize, maybe that will help push her away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. He also says that she's torturing him. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm away from you, when I'm off duty taking care of my baby girl, my thoughts are solid. I know myself. I know my heart. I know that my wife is dead, but she gave me a beautiful gift before she left, and I'm thankful for that. I know that I am loyal to the crown, and I will serve faithfully as long as I can. And I know that I care for you as... As a guard must care for his princess and as a friend, I suppose. But when you're near, my thoughts get all messed up again. You look like solstice and I get confused. My heart pounds so fast around you, but not in a happy way or a loving way. It's as though my body belongs to someone else and I can't keep my hands off you, even though I know how wrong it is. Stars above, I could be executed for this. Yeah, it's like he feels trapped. I just feel so bad for him because he's like, I know that, you know, my wife is not here and she's dead and I don't have these feelings for you. Like, I don't love you, Lavana, but yet you make me feel this way when I'm near you and I don't know what to do. Like, he's like, he's stuck. It's like one of those things where people talk about, um, like, if they have, I don't know, like a near-death experience or something, you know, and they're like, I feel like I'm stuck in my body and I'm looking at myself from the outside, you know, but I can't do anything to control my body or control what's happening. He's trying so hard. He, he's trying every way he can to, like, tell her how he feels and how she's making him feel. And I think it's in hopes that she'll realize how much this is hurting him, but it just doesn't, she doesn't get it. She's still misunderstood. She Mm. doesn't. And he even says, aren't you like, isn't this a manipulation, a trick played on the poor weak-minded guard? Yeah. And this is when she goes really crazy. She says that she loves him and that he loves her and he's just too honorable. And then he freaks out and he says, I don't love you. I don't love you. I don't think I do. But you've got my mind so turned around. I can barely tell what's yeah, real then, anymore. I mean, he just he's admitting to her again that he doesn't love her. He doesn't have these feelings for her trying to make her see. And then she's like, she tries to justify it saying like, don't you see? That's what love is supposed to feel like all these conflicting emotions and bouts of passion that you can hardly control. And this constant twisting feeling in your stomach. Like you can't decide if you want to run away from that person or if you want to run away with them. Like she's trying to justify it to him to be like, no, you really do love me. I just, it makes me feel really bad for her in this moment. Like, I just feel like, was she, like, what happened growing up? Like, was she so, did she feel so pushed away and unloved herself that now she is so desperate for love that this is what she's doing, you know? 
And like, she's already like covering up her true self. Like, I don't even know if she knows who she really is. She's always trying to be someone else. Like she's never, she's just very insecure. She's not confident, but she's had, she just makes this disguise that she is. And she wants to become someone else or solstice. And it's not, she also just ignores everything that she doesn't want to hear, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, mm-hmm. it's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it is. What, what I find really interesting is that he says that's right. not love. And I agree. That is so not love. But love is such a hard concept to even explain or describe. I remember someone once, I think it was Sean Mendez, said that it's like when you see the moon. And it looks beautiful and the sky and it's glowing and it just attracts your attention. And you try to take a picture with your cell phone. It just, just it doesn't come out right. It doesn't do it justice. That's what it feels like to try and describe what it feels like to be in love, to love someone. And I completely yeah, agree with exactly. that. It's, it's really hard to describe it, but definitely what... I mean, like, I know I love my husband, but like, if you try, I don't know how I could explain the ins and outs of that kind of intimacy. I don't know. Yeah. And she's just so desperate here. I think she's just trying to hold on to him. I think maybe she realizes he's only there by a thread, you know, and she's just trying to do whatever she can to keep that thread from breaking. Lavana says that she would do anything for him. And he pulls away from her and says, this isn't my intention I don't think you understand what you're doing, how wrong it is, but this can't continue. In the end, you'll grow tired of this charade and I will be punished for taking advantage of you. Don't you see that? And again, he's bringing reality into a situation she doesn't want it in. And then we get this moment where he reminds her that despite the fact that she is a Mm -hmm. princess, she has no real power. The queen isn't going to listen to her and she's not going to hesitate. And no one is going to question it either. If the queen says off with his head and Lavana says no, no one is going to say, well, Lavana said no, they're going to do what Queen Shannery said. And in this situation, this is a 24-year-old man and a 16-year-old princess and a guard. He's a guard, so he's he's in a lower station. And he's going to mm-hmm. be accused of taking advantage of her. What could he possibly say in his defense yeah, to not, not much be there. beheaded? <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, he could say no. that she manipulated him and did it to him, but exactly. Right. How proof? you can't prove Where's that. The he proof can't of prove that? that. There's no way. Yeah. So he is really stuck. No. I feel so bad for him. Like, I just. Yeah. I do. I think it also shows us the dangers of of this so-called gift we've talked about before how the gift can make you hurt yourself or hurt others in different ways. But I think this is the first time that we've addressed it in a situation of, can it help you like rape someone? It's definitely, I mean, it's a really dangerous gift. It's a, it's like a a gray area, but I think if you don't have consent, you don't have consent, whether you're manipulating them or not. 
So. And she's 16. Like. Yeah. She's 16. Oh, my God. I remember being 16 and in love, though. I remember what I thought was love when I was 16, I should say. Like, I for sure was going to marry my high school boyfriend. I also remember being nine and thinking I was going to marry Cole (laughs) from Charmed. Um, but I just mean, like, I remember the naivety of thinking you're in love when you're, when you're young Mm -hmm. and you're having those first experiences. So I want to give her that, that like, she's not the first doughy eyed 16 year old to fall in love with the wrong person and to, to struggle with the concept of what's real love and what's actually everlasting and how that person might actually feel about them. But she's in such a big position of power and she's using her gift so deliberately that she's changing that, that narrative from poor naive girl who's lonely, which is basically whatever Mm -hmm. it tells her is that she's naive, confused and lonely to also someone who's kind of on a power trip. Definitely. She just, She's not, I think she just, she doesn't, I think that she is so desperate and so wants to be loved and to be with him to, and that she's just not realizing that what she's doing is so wrong in so many different ways. She's just blinded by that 16 year old feeling or as Taylor Swift would say, 15, but you know, same thing. (laughs) It's close enough. No, but I think of I think of that line from from that song 15 by Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Back then I swore I was going to marry him someday, but yep. I realized bigger dreams of mine. I think that's very true when you're when you're young and falling in love. It is because that's all you think about. Like you just you just get these like stars in your eyes and these, you know, crazy feelings and the butterflies and you're like, "Oh, he's so perfect and I could totally marry him." And that's that's all you think about, but you don't realize you kind of get carried away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think that, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just agree. And she can't, she can't let this, this, I don't know, it's not silly, but the way that she's using it is, is silly. There's this feeling of what she thinks is love. She can't let it go. It's very convoluted. That's mm-hmm. all that she can think about. Like nothing else matters, but that. <laughs> yeah. Here's where we take a really big turn that I know surprised me the first time I read this. Out of nowhere, they've been having this fight about her saying, you love me. And he's like, no, I really don't. And she's like, you do though. And he's like, but I for real do not. Mm-hmm. And then he, she says, marry me. Where did that even come from? I don't know. I mean, before, when she, when she told Channery that she was going to marry Everett someday, she's de- and Channery just completely denied that, like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So Luana's like, okay, I'm going to make it happen because. Because I was told no. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Everett is horrified. Mm-hmm. Horrified. And who can blame the poor man, really? Oh, my gosh. 16. It's not even legal most places. <laughs> no. 
Here's where we have another insight. She she doesn't know his daughter's name. <laughs> I mean... He says, my darling Winter. And she's like, who the hell is Winter? <laughs> and she's like, my... And he says, my daughter. You believe that you love me, and yet you haven't even asked what I named my one-month-old child. Do you see how insane that is? Mm-hmm. I mean... Oh, gosh. It's just crazy. She tries to justify it by being like, well, your daughter will be a princess and she'll have all these riches and privileges. And don't you want that for her? You know, like she just kind of brushes it off, like as if it's it's okay. You know, oh, no, no, no. It's fine because she'll she'll be a princess and she'll have all of these things. And isn't that fantastic? Like he says, no, he wants her to be surrounded by love and respect. Mm hmm. Not whatever ballroom, not whatever games the people in that ballroom come up with to entertain themselves. Not whatever it is you're trying to do to me. In other words, not whatever it is that happened to you to make you this weird, freaky 16-year-old. Right. Yeah, as obsessed as she is with him, she knows nothing about his life and, like, what he's really going through. I mean, I don't think that you necessarily need to know, like, someone's favorite color to be in love with them, right? But what does she really know about him? Does she know what his goals and ambitions are? Does she know what type of father he is or wants to be? Does she know what he likes to do in his spare time? (laughs) I'm trying to think of, like, some of the things that uh, my husband and I did not live together before we got married. And I'm trying to – I'm thinking of some of the things we learned about each other (laughs) after after we moved in together that just drove us bonkers, like – uh, like I'm the person that makes my bed in the morning and he thinks that's stupid because you sleep in it. Why would you make a bed that you're going to sleep in in 12 hours? <laughs> like, or he doesn't like closing cabinets and drawers for the same reason. You're going to open the drawer again and you're going to open the cabinet again. Why would you close it? Oh gosh, that would drive me insane. Right? That would drive me insane. Right? Bethany. How do you do <laughs> So wait, wait. He doesn't do it anymore. It okay. doesn't know. I was going <laughs> to always tell when I've been out of town for a while because I'll come home and everything is wide freaking open. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm thinking of all the things you think you know about a person. Like, I loved my husband so much that I was willing to marry him, and I still <laughs> didn't know him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, what does she really know about Everett other than, dude, you're hot? Yeah, I don't think that. She, she doesn't really. And I think it just comes back to like, again, just so desperately wanting to be loved, you know, and I don't, she doesn't really know what it is. It seems like she doesn't know what it is maybe to really be loved by somebody and to be in love with somebody. And I mean, obviously her and Channery don't have a good relationship, so there's clearly not uh, a lot of love happening there, you know. So I guess she's just trying to find it somewhere else. But she doesn't. She doesn't know him. She doesn't know him. It's absurd to be like, yeah, we should totally get married. Uh, no, she's trying to convince herself that this is the right decision when she's ignoring everything that Everett says. Basically, when he says no, like, stop, like, this isn't okay. And she's like, yeah, 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 it is. Like, because this is what I want. So it's okay. Because <laughs> I can have everything that I want, right? Like, that's how it works. 
And it, no, <laughs> she, literally, she literally refuses to take no for an answer. This is how the chapter ends. She says, winter will have a mother and you will have a wife and I will love you both better than she ever could. And then she storms off and he follows her. Which is crazy. She's just, it's this. How does she not see how like forceful she's being? It's so manipulative. And I don't just mean by using the gift. Like this is manipulative without using the gift. Right. This is manipulating her power over him, her authority over him. This is what Quentin was saying about how could you possibly give consent to someone who has an authority role over you. Right. And you can't. And Okay, what Shannon was telling, or the conversation that they were having in the beginning of this section, um, I think it did rub off on Lavana a little bit, because in in this moment when she's talking to Everett, I don't, does, do we think that she's using, is she manipulating him here? Like, she's trying to just convince him like, I, I think she's just trying to convince him without manipulating him. Like, Yeah, that's what I think, too. I yeah. Don't, because, because of how he's reacting to it, um, she's not, I don't think that she's using her manipulations on him, like her gift on him right now. I think this is like just a sincere conversation between the two of them, and she's not using her gift on him at the moment. I don't think she's manipulating him with her gift, but I think she's manipulating him with her authority and her power over him. Which is basically what Channery does. So she's kind of, Lavana's starting to kind of adopt what Channery's doing. This whole, this whole like chapter, this whole section. Yeah. Well, yeah. The whole book, the whole book is that. And it also, about this book. I mean, it just, uh it's so heart-wrenching. Like, I'm just like, I feel so bad for Everett and I feel so bad for Lavana at the same time. Like, Channery is nasty, but I'm like, really, Lavana, this whole thing with Lavana and Everett just pulls at my heartstrings and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is torture. <laughs> Please remember that Prince Kai Fan Pod is a free podcast and always will be. If you'd like to show your support for the show, head over to patreon.com slash princekaifanpod. Patreon allows you to get extra perks and behind-the-scenes bonuses for only $1 a month. If you can't join Patreon but would still like to show your support because you just love the show so much, head over to coffee.com slash princekaifampod. That's ko-fi.com slash princekaifampod and leave a one-time only tip. Your support will help me bring you more TLC and Marissa Meyer content that you know and love. Now, let's get back to the episode. So let's talk about our chapter titles for this one. Okay. All right. So I picked uh, the chapter title of Foolish Games, and it's the song Foolish Games by Jewel. I just felt like it's so applicable because she says in it, you know, these foolish games are tearing me apart. And she talks about like how somebody is playing with her feelings back and forth. And so I just feel like that's very accurate. And for these pages here with poor Everett. I agree. That's a good one. So originally I wanted to do um, the pure imagination cover by cover by flannel graph. 
And then that was that really creepy and beautiful at the same time. And it's got it's got Levana vibes. <laughs> um, very much creepy. Um, but just out of curiosity, I typed in creepy pure imagination and this the cover of this song popped up um by Fiona Apple. And it is even creepier and it like gives me goosebumps. And um it's just it's at this like how the normal pure imagination song goes is very slow, but this one is like sped up in a way that you're not ready for. And I don't know. I just like it. Um, I think it also has a good instrumental behind it. That's so different from the original that adds like a, a creepy vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it takes a song to like a very dark place. That's very fitting for what's going on in, in Luana's head. And, um, like, the lyrics, it's, if you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. And, yeah, she tries to change the world. <laughs> she <laughs> and, does. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very dark and unsettling, and it's kind of... Um, it, it reminds me of the, the ending of the section before this one, where she's trying to convince Everett that he loves her mm -hmm. and, and it just repeats like he loves her. He loved her. He loved her. And the way that the, the audiobook is when Rebecca Soler does that, it just gets creepier each time it's said and it means something a little bit different. And it just, yeah, Lavana's in a, in a very dark hole that she's not going to be able to get out of. And she, she likes being in that dark hole, I guess. Um, yeah, it's like her safe space for some reason. Right. Like, I think earlier in one of the other sections, it was like, um, it was said that she knows what she's doing is wrong, but or like, yeah, her being, um, changing herself to be solstice. Like she likes that it feels wrong. Yeah. And it's yeah. taboo. Yeah. She liked that it was taboo. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song choice for that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I chose can't make you love me by Bonnie Raitt. Um, it literally, it's what came to my mind when I was taking notes on this chapter. Um, so the lyrics that stand out especially are, I can't make you love me if you don't, and you can't make your heart feel something it won't. Here in the dark, in these final hours, I will lay down my heart and I'll feel the power, but you won't. Yeah. If, so Levana, could see, if Levana could see things clearly, she would know that that's what's happening. Yeah. So very appropriate. <laughs> The one that especially comes to my mind is in the song, it says, the love you don't feel when you're holding me. Yeah. Because, I mean, she, because they just talked about how, like, he's kissed her and stuff, but it's because she's manipulated him, but he doesn't love her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. So let's talk about our chapter title, or we did that. So let's talk about our quotes. Uh, Leah, do you want to go first? Sure. 
Um, so my quote is from when they're, when they first go for a walk uh, around the lake. I just really liked the description of the lake. It says Artemisia Lake glinted in the darkness, reflecting the lights of the palace back up to the sky, along with an entire ocean's worth of stars. Lavana had often imagined that she could dive into the water and find herself floating in space. I just really loved that visual. I just thought it was um, just really, it's just really beautiful. Just And I can picture the lake and all the stars reflected in it. And yeah, just, just, just a beautiful picture for me for this one. Love it. Erica, you had a nice long one for us. Um, yeah, we've kind of read part of it before, but I'll read it again. Um, so it's when um, Everett is kind of telling Lavana, this this isn't love. So he says, um, I don't love you, he screamed, and the words struck her like a thousand shards of glass. Or at least, I don't think I do. But you've got my mind so turned around, I can hardly tell what's real anymore. She attempted a gentle smile. Don't you see, that's what love is supposed to feel like. All, all these conflicting emotions and bouts of passion that can hardly that you can hardly control... And this constant twisting feeling in your stomach, like you can't decide if you want to run away from that person or if you want to run away with that person. His face was tense, like he was trying to hash out his words before he yelled again. You're wrong, princess. I don't know what you're describing, but it isn't love. Yeah. Yeah. I like that description at the beginning of it when it talks about her, you know, shattering like shards of glass. Yeah. Yeah, he's trying to hang on to his sanity as much as she is, I think. Like, Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. It's... I mean, the poor man's being tortured, essentially. Right. It's, it's abuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely abuse. I, I completely agree that this is a pretty severe sign of abuse. And um, like you were talking about earlier, Erica, with Lavana having her own issues with trauma, it really makes you take into consideration how this might affect uh, Everett later in his life. Right. And like, I don't know, like crime shows or whatever, if someone is abused like early in their life, that's going to come out later as, as aggression on someone else. Oftentimes, like, mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah. So my quote was breathing slowly. She forced herself to relax. Her sister insulted others so that she could lift herself up in comparison. She was to be pitied. If anything, I could not bring myself to do a quote between Everett and Lavana. I was just so heartbroken with this chapter. So um, like we talked about earlier, I just think this is the ultimate description of why people can be mean is that, you know, it's like like what Leah was saying. It's a way to hide their own insecurities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So Patreon members will get to vote on chapter titles next week. Uh There were two Easter eggs and the bonus word hair appeared twice. Next week, we are going to cover chapters nothing because there's no chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we are going to cover pages 104 to 120. Um, And next week, there will be trigger warnings as requested. Next week, we're going to some very dark places. So there will be trigger warnings in place. Just be cautious when we get to that episode. 
Um, Erica, do you want to take a moment and share your social media if you're up for it? You don't have to. Um, yeah, I have two Instagrams, one more personal that I never post on, but that's the one that I use for, um, like our, our Patreon stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so that's just at Edsker E. How do I spell my last name? It's e- <laughs> that's your problem. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. Are you really asking me that? Literally, uh, I have to mind, look it up on Patreon. <laughs> my mind blanked, but it's just E-T-Z-G-E-R. And then I have another one that I used for my art and design that I'm kind of taking a hiatus from, but hopefully getting back to it soon. So um, I'm posting art on there. And that is um, at Erica Illustration. Yeah. Leah, I know you've been on like 30 different episodes at this point, but just for giggles, let's go ahead and plug YA Book Chat Podcast. (laughs) Sure. All right. Um, So YA Book Chat is on Instagram and um, also it's on every uh, podcasting platform should you choose to listen. So yeah, there you go. There you go. And of course, you should always follow, rate, review, and subscribe. Um, check out Patreon for a chance to be on a guest, to be a guest on an episode with me. And of course, way more fun perks than that. But that's one of the best ones, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I think we did pretty good on tangents today. I am getting better. We did. We really did not veer off the path very much today. I think we did really well. I'm kind of proud of us because I feel like me and you are big on <laughs> tangents. Oh, totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm super proud of us. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Thank you both for being here. I loved talking to you as always. Um, and I hope it was a lot of fun for you, Erica. I know this was your first time. It was. It was fun. Good. So, readers, keep reading, keep listening, and until next time, please don't get glamoured, especially by Lavana. <laughs> Bye. The passages read for you today are from Fairest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Patreon member Erica and Leah from YA Book Chat Podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pabo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. When we got Verizon 5G home internet, it sounded like it could handle all our needs. But one thing it couldn't handle was our frustration. And hey, we deserve reliable internet. It's time for better internet. Fast, reliable internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts.